this is Joe Farinaccio from smalltrimarines.com and outrigmedia.com, and I'm doing a recorded call here with Jim today. Jim Brown, how you doing, Jim? Hello there, Joe. Good morning. Hey, so uh, we talked earlier this week, Jim, and you, you told me about uh, what you referred to as a fine fiasco, or that's... Uh, you wanted to share uh, the story about uh, Scrimshaw, your old boat, which a friend of yours has purchased, and and uh, you've you've kind of been reintroduced to Scrimshaw after selling her, uh, what three or four years ago, right? Yes, uh, yes, she was uh, sold about uh, three years ago to uh, a guy who kept her there at uh, Homestead, Florida. Uh, in a marina there, he uh, uh, was not the right guy for the boat. Uh, I think perhaps the, the basic explanation for this whole fiasco is that uh, I declined, uh, I should have declined to sell the boat to this poor guy who had no idea of what he was getting into, but he did not argue about the price, so I sold the boat to him, and uh, it sat for three years, he uh, managed to use it once, and he did a bit of damage to it. It scared him, and uh, other things in his life made it impossible for him to ever really take advantage of the boat, and it was declining there in this marina. Uh, South Florida is not a good place for uh, for an old wooden boat, and uh, the sun was uh, really tearing her up. So uh, my friend Bruce Matlack, who is uh, um, a, a, a very experienced sailor, uh, decided to buy the boat and get me in on rescuing it from its predicament there in in the Everglades. <laughs> wow! <laughs> and uh, and uh, that that's where the story starts. Really, the 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 point of the whole thing was to rescue Scrimshaw, get it out of there. And take it to some place where we could haul it out and uh, do a bit of restoration and uh, and uh, as I'll explain uh, when we get to the end of the story about the future of the boat, Bruce wants to keep it for a while. Well, that's great. Well, specifically, I know that you had some things that you wanted to share about the experience that you thought might be interesting to listeners. So we're kind of anxious to hear about some of the highlights uh, from your trip to go down and rescue Scrimshaw. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> the, the story is supposed to emphasize uh, that uh, the, the, the sport or the lifestyle of sailing is one in which you continue to learn. No matter how long you do it, you learn something every time you go out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, one of the in a general category, one can say that he learns that every time you do something slipshod or temporary, it'll come back and get you. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so uh, let me tell you a bit about uh, Bruce Matlack. He's a former windsurfer champion. He was one of the first guys to do windsurfing. Uh, he was the first uh, uh, North American champion and the first world champion, and uh, he's, <laughs> he still races windsurfers, but he's also a windrider guy. He has one of my windrider trimorans, the little 17-footer, which he enjoys very much, 
And through the Wind Rider, he got to know a guy named Joe Murphy, who uh, is also a very experienced sailor and uh, now has uh, a, a Wind Rider. Uh, turns out that that Joe joined us on the crew uh, for this uh, this junket. Uh, Joe is a uh, is a retired judge who now works in mediation cases uh, as a mediator in uh, in uh, workmen's compensation cases. But in his early days, he was an absolute wild man. We learned a lot about him on the trip. <laughs> <laughs> turned out to be a wonderful guy and a very Crucial portion of the crew. Um, <clears throat> I was uh, I was also there. Uh, I should explain to those who may not know that I built the boat myself in California uh, back uh, starting in the very late 1960s, and uh, and uh, launched it in '72. And my family and I have uh, enjoyed, indeed, formed our lives around the boat for 40 years. Before uh, I sold it uh, three years ago, yeah, and and uh, and uh, the boat has I don't know fifty, sixty thousand miles on it. I've had a lot of experience with it, and uh, you think I would have known better than to do some of the stuff that happened uh, on this caper. Um, but uh, if there is an ex- explanation, it is that in the meantime, I've gotten so I can't see well. I I had to sell the boat because I couldn't see to keep it up and to use it. I can't see the compass or the charts or where she's going. And so uh, I, I was reliant on crew, and um, that sort of took the fun out of it for me. And now that Bruce owns the boat, uh, I find myself to be crew, and uh, the responsibility is really his, and so I decided to go along on this caper. Well, um, I, I want to say um, just real quick here, I want to interject that um, me and my wife actually got to go down to Virginia to visit your home right before you sold Scrimshaw, and the summer before that, you had taken me out on one of the rivers nearby, and we went out um, on Scrimshaw and did an overnighter. Uh, in the boat as we camped out on it, and then we we got to ride. We took one of your wind riders out. We 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 pulled it behind us uh, as we took Scrimshaw out by motoring out to where we were going to uh, be be camping, and um, that was just a, such a thrill. And I never, I was just totally amazed at uh, the condition of the boat after. You know, you had had it for all those years, and both my wife and I were extremely impressed with uh, just uh, the condition that, that the boat was in when you sold it. You had really gotten things up to to snuff to make it so that you would you would be passing the boat on to somebody in good condition. And so, I want to emphasize the fact that the boat was in really good condition. Uh, I personally had seen it and been on Scrimshaw at least twice before you sold it, and and I was just amazed at how well the boat held up um, uh, with the job that you did in building it um, all those years ago, and you had done a great job maintaining it. Well, I I had 40 years to get her dialed in, Joe. Yeah, (laughs) yes. A lot of people change boats uh, several times in their careers, and uh, I just... uh, 
decided I didn't need anything bigger or better. And so uh, anyway, here we are down there in Homestead, Florida, living in Bruce's motorhome for eight or nine days while we uh, got the boat back into commission to move after three years of uh, total neglect. She had a, a a long beard of weed and uh, and muscles on her bottom. We hired a guy to scrape the bottom. He did a good job, <clears throat> but the boat had become infested with rats. Uh, the owner had lost the ignition key. It needed new batteries. It desperately needed paint in places, and uh, we had to get stores aboard. Uh, eight or nine days of real struggle with the boat, uh, uh, up until, uh, uh, Joe Murphy arrived. And I had met Joe before, many years before, over our Windrider capers. Um, but, uh, we hadn't seen each other since. I had forgotten what a big guy he is. He's about 240 and, uh, 6'3. And when he stepped aboard Scrimshaw, the boat really grunted, you know. Hmm. <laughs> I thought, oh boy, this guy's going to have trouble getting around in this little boat, which is really sort of intended as a monkey bar kind of. The owner had lost the ignition key. It needed new batteries. It desperately needed paint in places. And uh, we had to get stores aboard. Uh, eight or nine days of real struggle with the boat, uh, uh, up until, uh, uh, Joe Murphy arrived. And I had met Joe before, many years before, over our Windrider capers. Um, but, uh, we hadn't seen each other since. I had forgotten what a big guy he is. He's about 240 and, uh, 6'3. And when he stepped aboard Scrimshaw, the boat really grunted, you know. Hmm. <laughs> I thought, oh boy, this guy's going to have trouble getting around in this little boat, which is really sort of intended as a monkey bar kind of exercise. So uh, <clears throat> Joe brought his stuff aboard. He brought a lot of stuff with him. It's a good thing because um, our navigation challenge was to be met by... Bruce's new iPad into which he had downloaded all the charts and uh, the iPad does uh, have a, a wonderful Navex program that is uh, available to turn it essentially into a plot, plot chart uh, a chart plotter wherein the position of the boat is indicated in the middle of the screen and the world moves past the boat but the trouble was that uh, as we got going of course, Bruce had told Joe, oh, don't worry about the navigation, I have a new iPad. As we got going, the blue dot, that is to indicate the position of the boat, just would not come up. And we called the experts and did everything we could to get it to work. But we were underway, and Joe pulled out his old GPS and a very old chart book, 1986 or something. Wow. It <laughs> showed the... Uh, uh, the the charts of the area in which we were going to be sailing. And so all of a sudden, Joe became the navigator, and it was uh, uh, not something he was expecting to do, but uh, it was a darn good thing that he was there. Uh, uh, the weather system, uh, of course, uh, Bruce had been watching the weather carefully and uh, expected these uh, these fronts to go through where the, the wind... Uh, clocks. It uh, actually veers clockwise around 
um, uh, uh, from uh, from south to uh, to west to north to east and back around again, and we were supposed to be able to catch that system so that we would have a a fair drip, a fair wind for an easy three or four day trip around the southwest tip of Florida, sort of circumnavigating the Everglades. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And uh, uh, of course, uh, uh, the, the, the weather and the navigation turned out. Uh, our confidence over the whole thing turned out to be uh, what a dear old friend of ours, uh, Jenny New, who is from uh, Trinidad. She calls when everything's going to be fine. She calls it goat's mouth. Goat's mouth. <laughs> and uh, and that's uh, the way it was. Uh, we uh, we really found that we learned something every time we go out. So here we go. Um, uh, I should explain a few details about Scrimshaw. It has a kick-up centerboard, very big, deep kick-up centerboard. Uh, the boat only draws about two and a half feet with the board up, but uh, six feet with it down. The boat also has uh, a kick-up rudder, a very large, deep kick-up rudder. It draws about four feet in the down position, uh, but uh, uh, kicks up to be able to drag it in the water shallow enough for the boat to pass, but the rudder partly kicked up and still able to steer. A crucial feature of the boat that I developed over the years. Mm -hmm. So that if you blunder into shallow water, you're supposed to be able to steer your way out. Okay. The boat also has a roller furling Genoa that is a a real uh, uh, owner-builder's creation. It uh, it's arranged on a pipe that uh, the headstay runs up through, and the pipe rotates, driven by a big drum with line on it, and the line leads back to the cockpit, so you can roll or furl the headsail, but you can't take it down. Um, This system has uh, worked perfectly for uh, (laughs) many years. But uh, it turns out that it really got us into trouble on this trip. Uh, and uh, Scrimshaw also carries two shore boats. We have a nice little dinghy uh, that's uh, older than, than Scrimshaw, and we also carry a kayak. Uh-huh. So with that, with that said, um, we, uh, we take off down through the Florida Keys. We're at the very southern end of Biscayne Bay. And we have to go down the Florida Keys, headed south and west, as far as Channel 5 at Marathon to cut through to get from the Atlantic side of Florida, the east coast, into the Gulf of Mexico. And uh, and uh, at that point, uh, we can take off and uh, start uh, uh, west and uh, curling north, uh, beating our way around the Everglades. So uh, <laughs> everything's going fine until uh, uh, we realize the wind is against us and things are going more slowly than expected. And uh, first night we're kind of pushed, so we look for a place to stop. And there's a little thing out there called Sandy Key, 
which is uh, a, a nothing place, a bird sanctuary with shallow water all around it. And uh, we went sneaking in there as far as we could go until the centerboard bumped, you know. Right. I think we actually went into about four feet of water before anchoring. And it was a quiet night. Uh, we were battling mosquitoes for a while, but uh, we did okay until uh, shortly before dawn when there was a wind change. And uh, I felt the boat bouncing around. I was in my bunk, you know, and and uh, I, I thought, uh, oh, well, uh, gee whiz, uh, <clears throat> I wonder uh, how the anchor is doing. It was a wind change. You always worry about anchoring, Joe. If the boat starts pulling on the anchor in a new direction, it has the uh, distinct opportunity to pull the anchor out of the bottom and drag it for a ways before it digs in. Right in a new direction, and uh, this bottom looked to me like there was a lot of weed around. In fact, we could see weed floating on the surface all over the place, and uh, and uh, the, the, the boat was bouncing a bit, but it seemed to decrease. The bouncing decreased even as the wind increased, and uh, all of a sudden I realized that uh, <laughs> the boat was... <laughs> literally cast into a, uh, a gushy, weedy bottom. We were aground, man. <clears throat> so I got up and, uh, and uh, uh, jumped to the, to the kayak paddle, which I thrust into the water and found that the water was barely deeper than the, than the paddle length, than the, the length of the blade on the paddle. And uh, and uh, I I went woke up Bruce and said, hey, well the good news is that uh, things are very comfortable, but the bad news is that we're hard aground, <laughs> and uh, we gotta we gotta get out of here. Come on, you guys, we gotta get out of here. So <laughs> Bruce, who was still half asleep, said, um, can't we have breakfast first? <laughs> 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 and uh, and uh, we. Uh, 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 Joe and I were both awake before, before he was, and it turned out uh, that uh, we convinced him that uh, we had to spring into action. Of course, the first thing we tried was the motor. I gave it, you know, got it warmed up and gave it full throttle, and nothing happened. We all got out onto one float to try to take some of the weight off of the main hull bottom, but no, the boat was stuck in the mud, all right. So... Uh, <laughs> I said, well, uh, my usual tactic, and in fact, uh, my boys and I, many times whenever when running aground, we have just stepped off into, you know, less than hip-deep water and been able to push, right. actually push the boat off. Right, just I push said, off. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll step off here and give her a shove and see if we can get her going. And uh, Bruce said, no, no, don't step off. He had been there before in his Windrider when competing in the Everglade Challenge. And he knew that the bottom was gush and that I would sink in up to my knees. Oh, wow. Also, at that moment, Joe said, no, don't step off, because they're right in front of the boat swimming by with two fins out of the water who was about a five-foot shark. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was pandemonium, you know. Uh, <laughs> okay, what are we going to do? Well, the idea is to get the sails up and sail off. Right. Okay. Uh, I set the rudder so that it would not go down too 
deep. I've had trouble in the past with that rudder when backing up. I thought that the sails might send us backwards at first, and a kick-up rudder can get caught by the mud and be forced into the down position so as to bury it in the mud. Mm-hmm. It's also possible to damage the rudder when backing onto it like that. Right. <clears throat> so I set the rudder line, the line that controls, the, that pulls it up. I set it so that the rudder couldn't go down too far. Okay, that was the first thing I did wrong because I couldn't see how deep it was set. I thought that it was feeling the bottom. It turned out that uh, it, it was... Uh, not set deep enough anyway. We got the mainsail up, no reef. It was a mistake not to reef the main because the wind was increasing. Oh. <clears throat> then we got the, the Genoa out. We rolled the Genoa out. I was intending to roll it out only part way just to set it in a reefed position. And the furling line is uh, is something I, I I have a means of capturing the furling line in the cockpit in a cam cleat, and then taking it to a horn type cleat so that you can make darn sure the thing doesn't come out too far. Right. And uh, and and I set it, but apparently I didn't set it enough. So as, uh, as soon as we pulled on the sheets to unfurl the Genoa, it zipped all the way out very rapidly, spun the drum so fast that the, all of the furling lines spun off of the drum and caused an incredible tangle around the, around the headstay in the vicinity of the, of the furling drum. Wow. It was uh, the biggest mess you ever saw, but anyway, we had full sail, full Genoa and full main. Oh. They were both flogging violently. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, but we got the boat, uh, uh, by steering with the sails, we were, uh, we were able to get the boat around, uh, off the wind, and, uh, sure enough, the sails filled and started dragging us out of our position. We definitely were moving. We were gonna get off. So it was so thrilling to feel it move. But, <laughs> Bruce, Bruce hollered, I can't steer! <laughs> oh, yeah. And so, very quickly, the boat tacked itself and started sailing back into shallow water. Mm. 